When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special Orange and Brown Talk edition with Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. Okay, um, let's get to this. You know, there's something we want to talk to about this game coming up, but I do want to kind of get just some final thoughts, some housekeeping on this Steelers game. Uh, the Browns, 48-37 winners over Pittsburgh, a couple days removed now. Um, I, I guess what, what are some of your biggest takeaways uh, from Sunday night? Well, along with all the turnovers and that that we talked about, when I wrote my column uh, that's posted right now, uh, my act of contrition about the Browns, it says <laughs> somebody called me, uh, a former and a former police captain says, I had the Browns winning or losing by the biggest margin, mar, margin. You need to do an act of contrition about that. So I did. Uh, Fair enough. But as I was looking at that, the remarkable thing, Dan, remember how the Browns are losing these offensive linemen during the game? That was the first time in 73 games the Steelers did not have a sack. Yeah. That is really well protected. And apparently Baker didn't even get hit where nobody got credit with a quarterback hit. And that goes back to like 2014. And no turnovers. And this is at the end what they had Kendall Lamb at right tackle. And what was that guy, Blake somebody? Blake, Blake Hans, who Kevin Stefanski has never met. Yes, and Baker apparently just barely met him, and, <laughs> and he's at right, no, right left guard, yep. left guard. So it was it's just phenomenal that happened, and that they you know, and then also it was impressive to me how you know Baker had no turnovers, and when they needed to put the game away, they did with 13 points I think in the fourth quarter. So um, those are things that stand out along with you know some of the other stuff, but just to to see that. You know, for me, you know, I, I picked the Steelers to win this game too. And, but I got kind of got this nagging feeling on Sunday. Like I, I wasn't sure why, like, I wasn't sure why I picked the Steelers because they, they hadn't been playing well. And the Browns are one of the hottest teams in football. And a lot of times that sort of carries over to the playoffs. And I, I just think this was a continuation of the Browns are playing really well. And, and the Steelers were, were fading really quickly and the Browns just imposed their will in this one. Well, Mary Kay Cabot was the one that just thought the Browns would really own them. On yeah. That. And she was right on that. So kind of for some of the reasons you did, and maybe I was just stuck with Steelers past times and, and, and Browns, you know, they, they need, they need to do what they need to do. Beat Pittsburgh twice in a row. They just kind of put that past them and start, 
not say put the Steelers in a rearview mirror, but it's not like they're just looming right in front of the windshield all the time. That you just feel <laughs> like things will be going well, they're going to crash into the Steelers and be demolished. And that has happened so many times with Cleveland teams before. So, you know, it was a cathartic experience, I think, for the Browns players and, and, and the fans and everyone else. I mean, damn, but still, the coach is in the basement. Bill Callahan's not there. Right. The assistant offensive line coach is not there. Blake, somebody's playing. Kendall Lamb's <laughs> playing. I don't know who was coaching the offensive lineman. Some guy named Ryan off the street. You know, <laughs> and they gave up no sacks. It's the, phenomenal. The, this this would be have to be something somebody smarter than me would have would have to look into. But yeah. you know, the Browns' offensive line probably had their worst game against Pittsburgh in October. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think that was all on the offensive line. I think I think a lot of it had to do with Baker in that game. Yeah, too. Baker was holding the ball for a long time. And, and it just seems like, right, that was the low point for Baker. And ever since, it's been up and up. And I just wonder if, you know, obviously off, the offensive line played so much better on Sunday night than they did in that first game. But also, Baker Mayfield is just a completely different quarterback than he was yeah. back in October. Yeah, and um, Bill Barnwell from ESPN had a stat over the weekend, you know, he does all their analytics and stuff. Baker threw the ball in 2.3 seconds, which was the fastest any quarterback uh, of all the guys in the playoffs that weekend got rid of the ball. That, and that's fast for Baker. Baker's yeah, usually in really the 2.8, 2.9. Yeah, and, you know, and sometimes he was over three. And, and you could almost watch – if you want to watch a game and you're watching a guy get sacked, like when they show the replay, just start going 1,000, 2,000. 3,000. If he still has the ball after 3,000, he's had it too long. And Baker oftentimes are one Mississippi, two Mississippi. He has so many Mississippis, you know, you went from Minnesota <laughs> to New Orleans on that trip, you know, because he hung on to it for so long, where that was very quick. And I just, you know, the Browns were so organized and the Steelers looked just so discombobulated. And again, that was a, a change of roles too. So, um, I, I think it was it, it was a game changer for for them. We'll see if it carries over to the next year. But um, you know, you think about Lamar Jackson finally won a playoff game, which he needed to do. The Browns finally won a playoff game, got in and won. And you know, the Bengals with Burrow. And the tough thing is he's coming off ACL. But those, you know, right now the Browns and the Ravens are better than the Steelers. Yeah, there's no debate. And they have a better, like when you're looking ahead, we don't know what's yeah. going to happen with Big Ben. And even if he comes back, we don't know what he's going to be. The Browns and Ravens have better quarterback situations. You mentioned oh, Joe sure. Burrow. The Bengals might have a better quarterback oh, situation. They do. Yeah, I mean, the ACL is a tough one, but sure they do. Um, so it, that those are the couple of things that stood out in that game that maybe weren't. The offensive line the lack of sacks, the lack of quarterback hits, Baker, Baker getting rid of the ball so quick, um, the organization of the coaching staff without the coaches being there. Um, and now Mike Prefer is the winningest coach in Brown's history because he won it all, percentage-wise. Who could have seen that coming? Okay, let, let's talk about the guy um, who drafted Baker Mayfield and the guy who's certainly tied to, to both of these teams that are going to play on Sunday afternoon, the Browns and the Chiefs, and that is John Dorsey. Uh, of course, you know, from Green Bay to Kansas City, you know, out in, out in Kansas City, the Browns bring him on. Uh, he's the guy that runs that 2018 draft, uh, which, which produced 
you know, those out of those first four picks produced three really good players. And even the fourth guy, Austin Corbett, is starting for the Rams. Yeah, right. I mean, they act like you read people who've not done their homework the last two years. Austin Corbett has become a viable starter, which is what you want in the second round. Yeah, exactly. And not that their ratings are sacrosanct, but Pro Football Focus had him rated like in the top third of, uh, of guards. Uh, I'm talking about Austin Corbett. So um, probably the trouble here, you can go back to what some of the trouble that uh, the Browns had when John was here was Freddie Kitchens and his coaching staff. They probably never really gave Corbett much of a shot. Somebody there didn't like him. And, yeah. that, you know, because – I mean, the amazing thing is he hardly plays here. He gets traded to the Rams, and they just they just throw him in the lineup, and he's been in there ever since. <laughs> I mean, how bad could he have been? It's it's funny. It's weird how that happens. Yeah, because <laughs> sometimes really you just need to do that with an offensive lineman. Let him grow with the guys that are there and, and that. But, all right, I mean, here's one of the phenomenal things about John Dorsey is uh, in back-to-back years, he drafted Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So uh, now there's a lot of debate in Kansas City, you know, whose idea really was Mahomes or whatever. Um, there's a guy named Brett Veach, who's a GM now that he pushed hard for it. Obviously, Andy Reid wanted it. But when you're the general manager, I don't know how you feel about this, Dan, but it's like that all those picks go on your name. They go on your resume, you know, whether who, regardless of whose idea it was, just like, you know, Antonio Callaway's on. Dorsey's resume, Brady Williams is, well, so is Baker Mayfield, so is Patrick Mahomes, so is Nick Chubb, you know. And Frank, and I care, so is it was Austin Corbett, who actually wasn't that bad, but your team didn't give him a shot. And you <laughs> drafted him. So the, the way I've heard the Mahomes story told, I, th- I think Andy Reid told this story in an interview somewhere, is that Brett Veach kind of fell in love with the guy. Yep. Um, Andy didn't really know a lot about him because you know, these coaches don't get into the draft until after their seasons are over. Um, and they, they basically made the decision. We're going to go figure this guy out. And John Dorsey, you know, Mr. Intel, Mr. Knows everything going on around the league figured out exactly where he needed to get to, to go get Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they jumped the Browns. They jumped the saints. I believe it was. And uh, there it is. They ended up taking Mahomes at, at number 10 in that draft. Right, well, got player that I didn't like at all, so it shows what I know. Yeah, I was not, I was not real bullish on on Mahomes <laughs> going into that draft, and now, you know, who knows? Twenty years from now, we might be talking about him as the best quarterback ever. Right, but back to back, and again, when you talk about putting your name on the pick, and yep. Mahomes was a divisive figure, you know, in the NFL because he wouldn't have dropped it was a tenth or wherever he was taken, otherwise, and. Uh, so was Baker. Not that many people had Baker rated number one. The analytics folks liked him, but not too many others. Yeah. So he did, you know, the thing is, the last two franchises he was with, when he was a general manager, they got a quarterback. That's a big part of the job. Not the only part, but that's part of it. Pretty important. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't have it, you don't have a job for very long. It, it is funny. This is an aside, but, I mean, had we all known – what Patrick Mahomes is going to become. He'd probably be a Cleveland Brown. Sure. But um, Dorsey is, you know, this yeah, is Yeah, Mitchell a, Trubisky was the top quarterback taken that year. Yeah, you're right. Right behind Miles. Yeah. So, you know, look, anytime you bring up Dorsey's name, 
you know, you're going to have some people are going to come out of the woodwork, with, you know, saying, well, he messed up what Sashi built. Other people are going to say he rescued what Sashi was doing. I, you know, to me, I think the cool thing about this Browns team is you've got elements going all the way back to Sashi Brown, what John Dorsey did, and now Andrew Barry is kind of putting yeah. his stamp on it. And I, I think that's kind of a cool meshing of, of everything that's happened since 2016. Dorsey kind of lived up to who he was here, though. You know, an old scout comes yep. from the Ron Wolf school and, you know, pays attention to testing numbers, really loves that stuff when it comes to skill position players. Is going to take shots on guys like an Antonio Callaway. It didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also added, you know, was was bold and made the trade for Jarvis Landry. You know, took a chance. Great great hunt. I mean, there's it's so a great many. Great trade. Yeah. And Jarvis went and he made the trade for Odell Beckham, which was not a great trade. Um, but, you know, part of John's uh, approach, you know, I think it came from having worked with two veteran coaches before going back to Green Bay with Mike McCarthy and then. Uh, I think he went back to Holmgren there, but uh, but where he was farther up the food chain with McCarthy and then with Andy Reid was, I'll just get these talented guys. And maybe some even got attitude issues and my coach will straighten it out. Right. Um, and, and obviously that didn't happen here. It didn't happen here because you have to have a strong coach to do that. So uh, that was, that's the kind of the flaw of that system. Uh, but, I, you know, to, to people, be to, to be dismissive of Sashi or to be dismissive of Dorsey is to not really look at the roster and see where they are. Right. The nice thing, by the way, that this front office did was instead of having the usual purge that we see, they didn't do that. They got rid of some guys they didn't like, but they didn't go on just get, you know, dump everybody. And that's been a, another key is instead they, took the players that were here and got them in better situations. And also I think there, the, the stability where you didn't have the, the tension between the front office and coaching staff, you know, which we saw here forever. That's, that's changed. Yeah. They, they kind of ironed all that out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think in the Baker's always going to be, you know, especially if he continues to develop and, and he's here, you know, he's, he's this team's quarterback for 10 years, you know, <laughs> Whatever that that's always going to be kind of Dorsey's badge, sure. I guess. But I do think going back to that Jarvis Landry trade, um, which at the time I think for a lot of fans was like, oh, why are they trading all this for a slot corner and paying him, you know, seventy five million dollars? That was kind of Dorsey saying, you know, we're we're going to start now. This is kind of the start of something different. And yeah, he's we've kind of seen what Landry has meant to this franchise. He's a quick fix guy because he even go back to Kansas City, they were two and fourteen. They had some talented players. The first thing he did was, was trade for Alex Smith yeah. because they have to get a quarterback. And they, he did that again, actually, with Tyrod Taylor. In other words, bring a guy in. He's not great, but this is a guy that's not going to turn the ball over. And then he could be there to help if I bring in a, a young guy, you know, that kind of stuff. So those are that's another one of the ways he looked at those things because he knew right away, I won't be terrible with this quarterback. That's what he doesn't, you know, he didn't want to be terrible. Um, and of course, that flew in the you know in the contrary to the analytics approach was there's nothing wrong being terrible for a year or two um so on, they, they had been terrible for two years so yeah so that was that was the the idea there but i'm i'm uh it, it is fascinating to see that you know john is now a consultant with the eagles mm-hmm. um, that's that's what he's doing so 
Um, I did actually did reach out from him. I heard back, but he doesn't want to really talk about anything. So, <laughs> uh, and by the way, there's one other big connection. You should know this. He's your client. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I kind of mentioned him in passing. But you know, he, he took big. that chance on Kareem Hunt twice. Yeah, because in the in the I think the third round there were some red flags about Kareem that people just didn't think. Uh, whether it was the Mac running back or whatever, there was some stuff about him that other teams didn't like. Uh, and then here, obviously they pick him up when, you know, he comes off that whole incident with the woman and that. So uh, he's, you know, you look at that, he big time running back for two franchises. Yeah. You know that, I mean, that's kind of the thing about John Dorsey is he's, he's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, and you have to watch. I mean, that's why you really have to do case by you know the case by case thing. Uh, to me, when he took Callaway, I thought it was insane. It just was. You, know, you you traded up even in the fifth round or whatever to take a guy who had been suspended for a whole year uh, in Florida with a variety of of other issues, and there were some of those guys too. He took it at Kansas City, and uh, you know Demarius Randall. I remember they brought him in here, and they said, oh. Well, his contract year, you know, or coming there, he was okay. And then after that, you know, he was having all kinds of issues. So, um, but one thing about John, John went and got players. And, and by the way, I'm going to just say this. I don't know anybody had Nick Chubb rated that high. I mean, look how far he fell. I yeah. mean, there were backs that went, Sony Michelle, went, his teammate, Sony Michelle went in front of him. There were other right. backs that went in front of him. Because they were worried about his knee. That was a gamble the other way. John will gamble on injuries. I remember talking to him about um, Olivier Vernon. I said, this guy has a high ankle sprain. Oh, we looked at him. He's going to be fine. Uh, I mean, you know, he came here. He's a pretty good player when he's healthy, which showed, but, you know, staying healthy was an issue. Um, so that was his, his other thing, too. And, um, but, you know, compared to, like, some of the people we saw picking players, you know, he looks pretty good. Really, what, and I and I and I just think that it's phenomenal that these two franchises, the same guy, brought in major players for both franchises. I know. And here they are, and and it's it's kind of funny how similar it is too, right? Like, you know, we mentioned he takes that chance on Kareem Hunt. Everybody knows the Tyree Kill story. I yeah. mean, that is. Those are kind of John Dorsey. Again, like I said, he's going to make you really uncomfortable with some of the stuff he does. But when you just mm -hmm. look out on the football field, you can see the eye that he has for talent and, and the things that, that he values on the field. Um, so it'll, it'll be there. He probably should be like your top personnel guy with somebody over him. It says, no, John, that's that you'll say that's a bridge too far for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Antonio Callaway. No, we're not doing Antonio Callaway. Uh, not the combination of this, this, and this, you know, it's not one thing, it's three things. And then now to, for example, now to Sashi Brown's, I mean, Sashi Brown's, excuse me, his, his disciple partly is Andrew Berry. And to Andrew Berry's credit, you know, they sat down with Kareem, they had him here, and then they signed him to an extension, you know. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, you know, they, they didn't just, they got rid of some guys, but not a ton of them. No, and you know, I, th I think that's kind of the interesting thing about Barry because he obviously, Sashi Brown brings him in. Yeah. Um, but then he sticks around for that year. Mm -hmm. with that Dorsey. Yeah, he was, he's worked under 
Bill Polian, it was a real interesting combination. Bill Polian, Sashi Brown, John Dorsey for a year, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia for a year. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's tight with Paul D. Podesta. <laughs> I mean, I, what a kind of, I mean, you can almost put all these guys together. What do they have in common? I guess Andrew Barry. I mean, it, it, it's really phenomenal. Well, and I, I think that's the interesting thing about him. And I think that's what can make for a great executive is when you look at that, when you had John Dorsey, Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf, Andrew Barry, it was the ultimate, like, you know, one of these guys is not like the others, right? Yeah. And he was Andrew Barry just didn't fit with that group. Yeah. Even guys. though he did have a scouting back around Napoleon, you know, we forget yeah. about because to us, the, the story began when he comes here and he's with the analytics group and he is brilliant. I mean, the guy is so smart. Oh, really, yeah. And I mean, that nice thing too, he's not arrogant about I me. Mean, he's just really, the IQ is really high with him. Um, and so he could probably play in all kinds of different rooms, you know, with, with that. But I just appreciated the fact that he didn't just say, I've got to tear the roster up. But I, I think it matters too, that, Spending that year with, I mean, listen, John Dorsey is, is a scout at heart. Yeah. Like he, and spending that year with a guy who comes from that Ron Wolf background, you know, we're seeing it with Chris Ballard in Indianapolis, who is like the ultimate John Dorsey disciple. You know, we've, we've kind of seen what he's done. Um, I, th- I think it's good for guys to spend that year and just that heavy, like, we're going to sit in this film room all day and, Mm-hmm. we're going to watch these guys and we're going to scout them like crazy. And I mean, it, I, don't know, I, th- I think that's good. Jared, Jedrick Wills. Um, it is a left ta- right tackle. They moved to left tackle. They have their analytics that said a couple of these guys could do it, but what do they do? They bring in Bill Callahan, another old line football guy yeah. who master if anybody could take a right tackle and turn him into a left tackle. Cause he's done it before. It's Bill Callahan, the first assistant coach I believe they hired, certainly the first big hire they made, was Bill Callahan. I mean, he was let go in Washington, and within 36 hours, I think they had him signed up here for a ton of money because they needed this, you know, hardcore NFL coach who wasn't necessarily analytics-driven, and they put him in a prominent role. Yep. <laughs> that is where, what we're talking about there where you're, you're creating your salad bar which is good you know you could pick from this and this so it, it's fun to watch the two franchises the guy by the way Brett Veach who's the uh, I was talking to somebody in Kansas City right before you and I taped this uh, who's the GM there now he, he started as an intern with Andy Reid in Philadelphia or something okay so the intern's now working <laughs> for, for Andy he's probably very comfortable with that setup too well, the, yeah, the, the path to NFL GM is, is changing pretty rapidly. The, the background some of these guys have is, uh, well, the Browns have a guy uh, working with, with Barry, Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensu, who's, who's yeah. kind of a, a different background. A business guy. and, and Yeah, and he's sort of. for some GM job somewhere? I think he, his name came up. I don't know if he actually interviewed anywhere, but his yeah. name came up. Or they asked permission somebody did or something with this guy. I don't know. So we're, we're seeing kind of that non-traditional path to becoming. Yeah, a now that's been going on in baseball for quite a while. 
Yeah. So, and right now, I think we could stop saying Paul D. Podesta is a baseball guy. <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably earned. I think he's probably earned that right. Yeah, because he now see you think about him when we talk about the learning curve. So he goes through. He comes in with the analytics guys. Then he goes through Dorsey. Mm-hmm. So he's with two drafts with Sashi, two drafts with Dorsey. And then, am I getting this right? Yeah, right. So then yeah. he gets a chance and he hires Barry and Stefanski. Uh, and so they have, again, he's watched that too. And, and by this point, he's, and by the way, he's very bright because I, I knew Paul a little bit from when he started with the Indians way back when, and, you know, he ran Mr. Moneyball with Oakland and some others, but uh, he knew, he also knows the value of scouting and that it's not just all numbers. And he, you know, he put this thing together. Jimmy Haslam allowed him to frankly pick the football operation. And this is how you got Barry, the combination of Barry and Stefanski who knew each other from before anyway, because actually Barry was here towards the end of his tenure when Stefanski <laughs> came in the interview in 2019 for the coaching job. So he went yeah. through all the interviews there back in 19. He and Stefanski got to be friends uh, during that time and, and kind of stayed in touch. In fact, I wrote a, a story, I mentioned one of my stories at one point that Stefanski and Barry was sort of half joking. I said, maybe one day we'll get a chance to work together. This is after Stefanski didn't get the job and Barry went to Philadelphia. <laughs> well, and, and here they are. And they are. look, let's give, let's, let's finally give some credit to Jimmy Haslam and D Haslam yes. because they kept trying to do this thing, right? Go, you go all the way, all the way back to Ray Farmer and Mike Pettin if we want, but like, you know, so you bring in Sashi people together, just throwing them together. It just, but even like, even having Paul D. Podesta in the building and then handing the keys to John Dorsey to hire Freddie Kitchens was just, <laughs> yes. I mean, that was never going to work. Right. I mean, you're talking about right. D. Podesta's head was probably exploding right there. <laughs> um, and, and if you look back at um, just the, the different things they did, I think at this point, after the Dorsey Kitchens thing blew up. It's almost like Jimmy threw up his hands. I've had Deep Podesta here. He's the chief strategy officer. Well, can we let him do his strategy and let's see what that is? And he yeah. just kept saying, you know, basically in effect, saying, will you bring people in here who will play nice with each other? Remember the, the infamous internal discord. I'll never forget that with you, Jackson. We have internal discord. Well, it, I mean, it goes back to even when Hugh Jackson goes 0-16. Yeah. And, I mean, they say even before the season's over that they're going to keep Hugh Jackson. I mean, you, you just brought in John Dorsey. You're not going to let him, you know. Right, hire. yeah. And, and John, what, what if he would have hired? I, I mean, John told me at one time, um, he said, when the Browns were talking to him, and this, he said he looked at, frankly, all the resources left by the Sashi Brown thing you know all the draft picks and all the uh salary cap money he said any player personnel guy would just love to get both of his hands on that because he knew that race car could run and also that race car had 
a good pit crew. In other words, if you don't get everything right, they got some extra tires. So you blow a couple picks, we got more. <laughs> you know, you miss on a free agent, dude, we got more money. And so and that's what it was attractive. And I think he didn't say this, but in his mind, if I got to deal with Hugh Jackson for a little while, I will, to, because I'm going to build a good yeah. roster regardless of who the coach is. Um, I mean, the best coach they picked was Greg Williams. <laughs> Probably, yeah, you're right. Well, you know why? Because Greg just came in. He actually didn't get into it with anybody. He just kind of had order and coached him. I'm not saying he should have been the long-term think, uh, answer. But frankly, I think you, uh, you know and I know uh, Greg Williams would have been better in Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, I think so. He would have blown up property after that, you know, because of the, the ego. But you right. would not have had that garbage going on like with Freddie. Thankfully what you really have now, and I'm thinking more and more like this, it's over, Paul, St uh, or I'm sorry, Kevin Stefanski reminds me of Jim Trussell. A little bit, I can see it. You know, the calmness, this, uh, just sort of the good feel for thing. You know how Trussell always just had a feel for uh, kind of what people were thinking, that kind of stuff. He had a nice way of telling you absolutely nothing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, say something but and and that's that that's a skill it's a people skill and the players knew where Trussell was coming from and they seem to really know where the Stefanski is not going to be one to, to uh, deceive them or anything in any way so so let me ask you this we, we've talked about um we talked about Sashi we've talked about Dorsey um and and again i for me personally, I'm not into the whole Sashi versus Dorsey thing. No. But I'm just curious. Did, did this team kind of need John Dorsey a little bit, though, to, to kind of have that guy to come in? And like, and like we said, a guy that's just going to – he's going to be aggressive to get a Jarvis Landry. I think he he's not going to be afraid to get a Kareem Hunt. He's, yeah, he he's going to be – he's, he's a scout and going to infuse that talent. In the same way he jump-started it in Kansas City, he jump-started it here. You know, he, he sort of – they talk about change agents or whatever – he was going to come in. He's a risk taker and um, he's going to get players in here. And what you needed seeing Kansas city, they had um, Andy Reed to sort it out. The other thing that happened to him there along with Reed, there were some issues with the salary cap um, money that he blew, uh -huh. but I mean, in Dorsey's defense, they said, we're tired of going two and 14 and all this stuff. You know, you've got to win some games. Well, it's the same thing here. If you bring a guy in and you got a lot of salary cap room, but you tell him you got to win some games, guess what? He's going to go out and he's going to take some shots and try to win some games. So uh, if Dorsey did a bad job uh, in terms of player personnel, uh, this team would not be in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> That's simple. If he right. takes Sam Darnold, I'm not sure how good he is. Uh, or, you know, like that. Or, or even, uh, you know, I don't know if Josh Allen becomes no. this Josh Allen here. I don't know. Or, or how about this? Nobody wanted him to take Nick Chubb. Yeah. Did anybody even around here mention Nick Chubb before the draft? Well, what, I mean, what about Denzel Ward? Yeah. I mean, that was a little bit of a risk. Big risk. To take a cornerback, yeah, I mean, cornerback is a really valuable Chubb, position. Yeah, Bradley Chubb. What's his name? Uh, the the one who who the, the pass rusher went to Denver. Yeah, Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb, who's really good. Who is really good. 
you know, maybe that would have been a better pick anyway. Yeah. But that was the, the quote chalk pick or whatnot. And, and I never heard Denzel Ward mentioned before the draft for the Browns. I heard him like in a 10th, 12th pick, you know. So he didn't really worry about anything. I know he did. I, I know this. John did not like Darnold. He felt that he was turnover. Um, and he, uh, he just loved Baker. And he, you know, now he will see um, the thing. The only thing that's going to hurt Denzel, I think, is just being healthy. That's all. But yeah, he's a big time cornerback. So it, it's fun to look at it. But as I, I'm going to write, you know, they, you look here, and this is not to say Dorsey should have kept his job or whatever, but in the same way, Sasha helped set him up, sort of this guy. And, and by the way, it, it takes a little luck too. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I was talking to somebody about this. You know, they, they decided not to take Deshaun Watson. Yeah. They traded out of that pick. If he doesn't tear his ACL, you don't have the number four pick in the draft. You've got right. the number 15 or 16 pick in exactly. that draft all of a sudden. And then that changes your team building. And, and, and I don't know, maybe you, maybe you regret that decision now. But. And then, you know, then you turn around and Asashi Brown doesn't make that chair. I understood the trade right away because of the NBA style trade where they took Osweiler's contract. The Osweiler deal, yeah. The guy knew right away what he was doing because I actually talked to Sasha in a background thing right after it happened and he started to go, I go, I know what you're doing. I just watched Chris Grant do it about five times with the Cavs. It, right. It, I, I liked that deal, actually. I thought that was a, a very creative, yeah, creative I, way I, to get that pick. And fans are making fun of me. And I'll tell you, I know the Dorsey element didn't like it. How about this? You don't have that second round pick. You don't have Nick Chubb because if they had Nick Chubb drafted higher than than Austin Corbett, they don't take Austin Corbett first in the second round. They take Nick Chubb. Yeah, there was a pick <laughs> in between there. No, I, I liked that that Osweiler trade. I, I mean, there's things Sashi did I didn't like, and there's things he did that I did. And, and yeah. the Osweiler deal was. And you know, the other thing too, which you have with Sashi, and we'll just leave it at this: is uh, you had a guy learning on the job. Rookie GMs are like rookie coaches and rookie players. That'll make some really bad mistakes. So fortunately, you know, Barry, maybe because of this, we talked about his right, very background, has been able to avoid really rookie GM moves. Yeah. Where you go, but, what is that? Now we'll see, you know, we'll, when we finally see Grant Delpit play and who was it else that they took that? Um, um, let's see, uh, you know, Jordan Elliott, yeah, is a guy that I don't feel like we know a lot about yet. You start getting the third round. Joe Banner told me this, and I checked it. Only twenty percent of third round picks end up being uh, uh, like what they would call consistent starters for three years in the NFL. Yeah, it's a low percentage. And after that, it's like who the heck knows? Right. I mean, like you know, he took Nick Harris in the fifth round. We'll see if he turns into anything. Yeah. You know, guys it's like, like that. But, but uh, I mean, Delpit's a big one for them because remember they traded down and did all this stuff. And we'll have to see. And they tears his Achilles, but that'll be a you know that's an important pick. Just like Greedy Williams, which you know, I don't know if Greedy Williams is any good or not, but his his whole career is in jeopardy. They can say whatever they want. Oh yeah, that this was a lost year. You can't go into next year with Greedy Williams written in pen. He's played twelve games. You just can't. It's it's no. You feel bad for him because it's because of injury, but like. If this this team is going into next year trying to win the AFC North, and so you've got to make sure that you know exactly what you've got over there, and then you have him and see if he comes back. But so, yeah. All right, 
Uh, I think that's uh, that's everything. Browns, Chiefs. Terry, have you talked yourself into picking the Browns on Sunday yet? I vowed today my act of contrition to pick the Browns no matter what. I said I would say <laughs> time. So I, I wish I actually wish people could know, like, you know, obviously those picks get sent out on Twitter and we're, when we're wrong, people love to, to let us hear about it. I wish people could know, like, there is no scientific thinking behind it. There's no, there's no reasoning behind it. I honestly, like I said, it was bugging me. And I, I was thinking about maybe picking the Browns going into this game on Sunday night. But part of the reason my pick was Steelers is because I felt like we had too many Browns picks. It looked a little too homerish. <laughs> so I, I wanted to balance things out a little. That's the science that goes into uh, yeah, well, those picks that we send out I on Twitter. Wrote, and the I am notoriously wrong in my picks. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, I think I mean really, and you could say that, but, but you know, we're not doing betting. We're actually here. I mean, it's more. I really feel my job is more of almost like the conversation we just had. Yeah, Look, for sure. What moves? Who brought what? You know how, basically how the operation runs. Uh, that's where hopefully the expertise and things that you and I have, uh, as opposed to. I think the Browns are gonna. The over under look, there's a whole bunch of guys that do that. Go talk to them about the over under and everything else. So, yeah, I think we had you and I had somebody tweet us, I think, uh, in the, the Tennessee game. And yeah. I'm, I'm not taking a shot at this person, it was no big deal, but he, he's like, well, oh, he how's, your, how's your guys' day going? Because we had picked the Titans to win, and my response was basically like, I'm doing all right. This is a pretty fun football game to watch. Yeah. I'm in a city that yeah. I like. I want to, and also I want to be wrong. I want, you know, the, 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 I'm just going to say it's a dumb, the dumb thing that I would hear is, Oh, you want the team to be bad and have controversy. It sells papers or gets internet hits. No, you know, what gets internet hits and sells papers winning. Yep. Winning. (laughs) We sold 530,000 papers Two days after the the Cavaliers won the 2016 uh, championship, people were lining up outside the building, outside the building, because you can't put a website on your wall. Number one, number two, five hundred and thirty thousand papers, <laughs> as opposed to that was a day that that wasn't home delivered, so it was like fifteen thousand or whatever it is, you know, that you sell in the newsstand. That's what sells papers. Right now, you and I know, we keep track of our own analytics, our internet hits on the Browns through the roof. And this is a controversy-free team. <laughs> well, and every, every story is a little more interesting when the team is winning. Yeah. Right? Like know, every, people people want to learn about the team. They want to know about these guys. They want to read more about them. It's, yeah. and, and also, the, it's a likable team. That's my point all year. It has been a likable team. Yep, for sure. Okay, I think that's uh, I think that's everything then. Uh, that'll do it for this special edition of the Orange and Brown Talk, Terry's Talk and edition of the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed because you can get our daily pods, this pod, uh, the Gotta Watch the Tape pod that Doug and Ellis and Scott do twice a week. Uh, check that out. And of course, check out Football Insider as well at cleveland.com slash Browns. Terry, thanks for the time. You're welcome, Dan.